Welcome to the Business with Bordeaux podcast, where we're bringing basic business tips to entrepreneurs and the future leaders of tomorrow. Let's get down to business. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Business with Bordeaux podcast. I thank you for joining me for another week here on the show. And I thank you to everyone who has went and became a patron. Thank you so much for doing that. And so I want to shout out Mr. Aaron Simpkins because part of the actual, one of the perks of the show, if you don't know, is when you become a patron, then there's different perks. So the $1 tier is that every month you get a shout out on the show. The $3 tier is every month, every week, excuse me, every week you get a shout out on the show and I send you a handwritten thank you card personally for me. And then the $5 perk, which is really, really cool, is you actually get the previous two options and, or the previous two rewards, and you get an actual exclusive clip of footage that I get from select interviews. So we got a select interview clip from Mr. Aaron Simpkins, which was the interview from last week. And this week, there's an interview clip that I got from Mr. Odd Thomas himself. And so both of those are pretty, pretty cool. And so I encourage you, go check it out. You can go become a patron at patreon.com. The actual, um, you can go to businesswithbordeaux.com to find that link, or you can see it here in the show description for this actual podcast. And so you can also find the podcast over on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. So If you're on any kind of platform, you should be able to access the show weekly. So go subscribe, leave a review, comment, all that good stuff. And before we get into the show, I do want to ask you to go over and subscribe to the Track Stars podcast as well. Track Stars, great group of guys, DJ Jeremiah, Shantana, Mr. Ryan Righteous, and kind of unofficially, I guess you could say, is uh, Mr. Rick Sincere. He's there on the show pretty often, but he isn't in the tagline. So, but he is a awesome guy on the show. And Debate Fuel, which Rick Sincere is officially a part of. And uh, he's also on there with Mr. Derek Myers and DJ Jeremiah. Now, this is where a lot of times they actually do get into some really, really good debates when it comes to sports. And so it's a really, really awesome show to listen to. Go check it out. Debate Fuel. And yeah, so without any further ado, here is my interview with Mr. Odd Thomas, the CEO, founder of Humble Beast. All righty. Welcome back to the Business with Bordeaux podcast. We have a special guest with us today. Uh, We have Mr. Thomas Terry, also known as Odd Thomas from Humble Beast. He is the owner and the founder of Humble Beast. And so I wanted to uh, talk with him a little bit about starting the record label and what were some of the things he's learned over the years and also what the the vision for the future of Humble Beast might be. And uh, Mr. Odd Thomas, thank you for coming to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me and taking some time out to do the interview. Uh, I'm doing really well. It's going to snow, so that's always good. <laughs> yeah, we don't get much snow in North Carolina, so <laughs> we, we might get a couple of hours worth it, but it never sticks. Yeah, that's the same as Portland. It's always raining, but every once in a while, it'll snow a little bit. So, yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, um, 
I want to get him started. Uh, if you would, if you could just share a little bit of background of yourself and what it was like, what your life like was before you uh, actually founded Humble Beast. Sure. Well, um, I became a Christian around the age of 18. And I mean, I've always been involved in music to, um, you know, varying degrees. Uh, uh, I, when I became a Christian, uh, I wasn't really aware of like a Christian hip hop scene. Uh, but still was like really into uh, making hip hop, decided to use hip hop as a means to um, kind of promote the gospel or preach the gospel to the people around me. I was raised in a you know traditional hip hop context. Uh, and I did that for many years, <clears throat> connected with a lot of people in in hip hop. Uh, obviously I'm from I'm from the Los Angeles area and so, I got really acquainted with all folks, uh, hip hop, and then a lot of Christians that I knew that started doing hip hop. And so it was always kind of there and on the back burner. And then a few years uh, into doing hip hop stuff, I realized pretty quickly that it was going to be challenging to have a sustainable career um, off of rapping. So uh, although I still continue to make music on the side, it wasn't my primary vocation. Uh, and so about, let's see, 14 years ago, uh, I ventured into um, my first business, which was basically like brand management. So I did a lot of web uh, design, web development, graphic design. Um, basically, I was a brand manager for a lot of different companies. And so I spent the vast majority of my kind of uh late 20s into my uh, early 30s, working with two types of uh, companies. I worked with a lot of nonprofit companies, helping them to understand their kind of nonprofit world, uh, how they presented themselves, um, both from a brand perspective, from a social perspective. And then I worked with a lot of, uh, at the end of the day, I worked with a lot of uh, record companies, in Long Beach, which is where I lived, there was a lot of punk labels that I had um, helped to build their infrastructure, help with their logo development, their lifestyle brand, even did some concepting for them. And so really, uh, my world was surrounded by these two kind of uh, infrastructures, nonprofits and uh, record companies. And so, yeah, I did that for a long time. I had uh, a bunch of guys that worked with me. I had uh, employees that lived uh, in Nashville and Los Angeles, and so spent a lot of my time just traveling between those two places. Uh, and you know, propaganda and I had been friends for I think at that time we had been friends for almost ten years. And uh, you know, he was just kind of always hanging around, and obviously was a gifted rapper, uh, gifted poet. And uh, one day he kind of approached me. He said, you know you should help do for me what you're doing for all these labels, you know, help me to build like a brand for myself and help me uh, get my music out and all those things. And so I kind of just laughed at it and was like, yeah, all right, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it. Uh, and so it was kind of always this ongoing pressure from prop to, um, to help him get started. And so uh, really I, I had, I had thought about it for a while. I mean, my business was pretty demanding. I, I felt for, for me, it, it seemed to be pretty successful. Uh, had a lot of clients, had sustainable revenue. 
And so the idea of doing something on the side uh, was really daunting and seemed to be like just a, maybe just a waste of time. But I really began to think about it, and the more prop would position me about it and talk to me about it. I started thinking, uh, and then I began praying about it. Uh, and then uh, it was one year after I had left the Legacy Conference in Chicago. This was the second year, I think, that they were doing it. I had walked away from the Legacy Conference and saw what influence the music industry had, uh, and particularly in an urban context. And so... I think it was at that point when I really began to think a little bit more critically about um, potentially launching this, you know, ministry record label incognito thing. <clears throat> and so when I got back from that conference, I really just I sat down with prop and I said, OK, here's the deal. Um, I will I will try it. I'll, I'll put my effort into it, but it's definitely going to have to be a, a side project. I can't like really take away any of my time. Uh, from my regular company, but what I'll do is I'll use uh, some revenue that I'm making from my my primary company, and I will invest that into this uh, thing. I didn't even know what we were going to call it, uh, and so yeah, it was shortly after that I began to see, um, I began to think through and see in my mind at least what I thought might be a really interesting ministry, uh, and that was do a record label, but really make the record label um, not in a traditional sense where uh, you know we would just sell records and that would be our primary revenue stream. I think at the time I said, nah, I, I want to give away the music, uh, particularly because I felt like the music in itself was such a great ministry resource and I just didn't really feel comfortable um, investing my time, energy, effort, and um, just life into something and then give it, you know, give it to the marketplace and then have people pay for that very substance. And so I decided early on, uh, I would do it, but I would be committed to doing it for free. And I knew that would be a challenge, obviously for companies, you take your, your richest commodity and then you give it away for free. You're going to really suffer. Um, but I, I, I felt like the Lord was in it. Uh, and so, yeah, 2009, uh, I decided, yeah, this is when we'll launch it and I'll have a few artists with me. And so at the time it was just propaganda. Uh, it was a gentleman named Citizen Aim, uh, who has since passed away. Um, and it was, uh, a brother named Theory Has It and Foreknown. So just a couple of us guys and, uh, yeah, launched Humble Beast spent some time on developing the brand for it, really kind of sat on it and did some marketing and promoting at the time, uh, try to take some different routes of marketing and promoting. Uh, and so moved my family to Portland uh, and really just kind of went all in. And so about year two of doing Humble Beast, I had really uh, began to develop a great passion for it. I, I would do my other job stuff. I'd be hustling with that, working with other clients, and really just felt like I was um, doing that just to get by. And I found myself just thinking about ministry, thinking about Humble Beast. And so year two, um, I decided uh, after talking to my wife uh, that I was going to sell my first company. 
and I was going to try to do everything I could to make Humble Beast uh, at least somewhat sustainable. So year two, my wife and I sold my first company, uh, invested the money that I gained from selling that company into Humble Beast. Uh, and at that time, Humble Beast just started beginning to grow. Um, Braille came on as as an artist and really kind of helped me see through um, uh, how best to A and R records. I mean, Brian or Braille is obviously incredibly gifted at that, and so uh, and and we brought a few other artists onto the label, and really that's kind of when things really started to take off. Uh, and so yeah, that's kind of like how Humble Beasts kind of came together. Started off as a side deal, propaganda chirping in my ear to help them, uh, and then a couple years after that, decided um, this is what we're gonna do. And oh, thank you, Sam. Sam just brought me some coffee. So um, yeah, that's kind of when everything really begun to to develop. And um, yeah, so that's where we are today. So awesome. So uh, real quick before the next question, had you seen any other model of giving away a product for a business or is this just something that you came up for like the, the concept of ministry? Yeah, I've never really quite seen a business model do it. Uh, well, I, I have since then, but when I first started, there wasn't really any models that I felt were um, taking the very their primary goods and then giving those away for free. But I wasn't so concerned about that because I, I, I did realize that in order uh, to have sustainability, particularly in, in the sphere of music, we were going to have to create um, other means of generating revenue independent of the music. You know, seven, eight years ago, I did, I was able to observe a trend in the music industry where um, I, I had predicted it would actually happen a lot sooner. Uh, but I just knew that there was no way that the music industry was going to be able to sustain itself with digital media, the the world of iTunes coming into play, streaming, Napster, all that stuff was was happening. And I and I really did believe that there was just a a small window of time before people would not be able to sell their music, and so artists were going to have to think about other ways to monetize to sustain themselves. And so I had started Humble Beast already thinking about those things. In fact, the only reason why we put it up on iTunes to begin with, I wasn't intending on making any money from from record sales whatsoever. The only reason why we put it up on iTunes is because I believed we needed to have perceived value. Uh, because when you give away things, when you just say, oh, here's here, this is this is my thing. I'm giving it, I'm giving it to you. Um, really people just view that as garbage, you know, right. they treat it the same way they do when they see couches on the side of the road, uh, or a TV, they think, oh, it must be broken because people just don't give away things that are good and functional. And so I began to, uh, put records that, that we created on iTunes because I wanted people to feel like when you come to humble beast, you're actually getting a gift. You're getting the best of our efforts, but you're getting it as a gift from humble beast and uh, I put it on iTunes so people see this is what the gift is actually worth. Um, and, and what ended up happening is about you know year three or so, we began to see a trend. Um, as we promoted generosity, we began to see a trend with uh, the consumers of that generosity feeling like they wanted to be reciprocal with their generosity. And so folks would download records from our website and would feel like the records are so good and so rich in its content 
and they would rock with the ministry philosophy that they would actually go to iTunes and buy those very records after having received it from our website. And now it seems as if more people actually purchase our records on iTunes or digital retailers and more people stream our records than download from our from our website. And so that's, you know, that's something that I never anticipated is this like uh, reciprocal generosity from the very people who loved our ministry and and valued getting our, our resources as a gift. But I had never seen uh, another company doing that. It was really just a, a ministry impulse. I figured we would make money off of merchandising, off of touring, uh, off of um, licensing. And, and that's really how Humble Beast survives. I mean, we, we do a lot of merchandising. We have an online store. We do booking. We do touring ourselves. We uh, help the artists establish like a, their own little stores when they hit the road. We license our music to companies like Red Bull and you know Adidas and all these folks. And so uh, that's kind of like how we actually sustain ourselves as a ministry. The 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 benefit of receiving revenue from record sales is something we never anticipated, but it is a great blessing for us. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I have noticed that. I've seen a lot of other like writers, for example, uh, they'll take a lot of blog posts, stick them in a book and sell the book. And it's the same content, but people are buying it as their way of saying thank you. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's interesting because uh, I'm of the opinion that Christians should be the leaders in the marketplace mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we do things in excellence. And so we should be on top of our game and uh, leading the market instead of trying to follow behind a wave. And so the fact that you were able to do that with Humble Beast to me is, you know, a really amazing thing. Yeah. Well, the Lord so was that's kind cool. to, uh, I mean, we could have done it. <laughs> I, I really just see the hand of God and this is not to take away from strategy and marketing and branding. I think those things are important and we have to be excellent in those things and we have to be ahead of the game. Uh, but I really do see the, 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 the success of Humble Beast lies um, completely on the grace of God and his hand on our ministry. Uh, and, right. Yeah. So, so how, how many businesses did you actually create before humble beast? I know you mentioned you had a few. Yeah. So I, I, I had a design company called media camp. Uh, I had a brand ambassador company that I, I did. And even when doing humble beast, um, we've kind of parlayed a few companies, um, from Humble Beast. And so we really have uh, three folks at Humble Beast on staff. Um, and the other folks, they really just give their time to Humble Beast. Braille, myself, Cortland Urbano, we make a living from beautiful eulogy. The artists make their living from doing music. And so the other folks that are here, um, you know, we have three other folks that they, they work for Humble Beast full time and then one donates his time here. But what we needed to figure out is how do we generate um, a significant more amount of revenue uh, to pay rent, to pay the salaries of the employees that we do have, to pay for records. You know, it costs like about $30,000 to make a record. You know, people don't know that. But it costs a lot of money. We put in a whole lot of money for records. We spent a lot of money on marketing, spent a lot of money on equipment. And so we needed to think critically about how do we raise money uh, if we're giving away our, our richest commodity. And so from that, we, we decided we were going to parlay 
uh, different businesses from within Humble Beast that really don't uh, that a lot of people don't know about. And so one is we we have a licensing company, and so we do licensing of songs that we create. We license those instrumentals. Sometimes we do custom scoring for various different brands across the country. I mentioned earlier Red Bull and you know Jordan brand and you know things like that. We we spend a lot of our effort managing those clients and that brings in some sustainable revenue. So there's a licensing company. Um, we we had a coffee company for a little while and that was great. It brought in some sustainability for Humble Beast. Uh, we started a company called Drum Season, which is a producer kit. Um, so basically drum sounds, unique drum sounds for producers. Uh, and that brings in some sustainable revenue every single month. We, uh, the beginning of next year, will launch uh, a design company from Humble Beast called Underscore. And this design company will encompass everything from uh, lifestyle videos, uh, storyboarding, designing, everything that we do for Humble Beast, we just offer those services for um, the high-end client um, that we pick and choose and say, you know, we want to work with these folks and want to work for those folks. Uh, and really going for the high-end client and doing the kind of work that we do for Humble Beast gives us really the kind of revenue that we need to to survive. Right. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever you are working with other companies – are are you are you particular about who you work with? Do you kind of vet them a little bit to make sure they're uh, you know kind of hold your your moral status, or is it just a business transaction? Just a business transaction. I mean, honestly, I think part of engaging um, with the culture around us is um, serving the very clients that that come to us. Now, I I would obviously hold some discretion. Uh, in who I work with, but we've never, we've never faced those issues. I mean, we've done something for, uh, I think we've done some licensing for a vodka company and, um, could do that with a clear conscience, um, as onto the Lord, um, with a, with a, with a strong Christian work ethic. Um, we've done some stuff for some political campaigns that we wouldn't really associate with, uh, or endorse, but, uh, we, we did it because, it's a, it's our job, uh, and so we really don't vet those companies. Those companies kind of hit us up, and um, we make a distinction. The things that we do from Humble Beast, um, we control the content of. Um, we shape the the ministry ethos of it, and we decide what to do and how to do it. Uh, but when it comes to some of these, you know, high end clients. Um, they, they come to us and they say, this is what we want. Can you do it? And we bid for it and we try to do it, the job the best that we can. And, you know, these companies also know that we're Christian. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Right, when right. folks come to Humble Beast, they know that we are distinctively Christian. But I think we have tried to be so excellent at what we do that to them, they they don't really care about our philosophic worldview or our uh, religious distinctives. They just they want the goods. They want the music, you know. So right, it it works, you know. Cool. Yeah. So I mean, that's just kind of like our 
our perspective. I mean, we really treat Humble Beast almost as if it's a bivocational um, ministry. So we we work really hard at sustaining Humble Beast uh, and trying to do a good job for the sake of engaging um, the world with the gospel. At the same time, we always have to hustle uh, to, to provide for our families in a way that frees us up to be able to do these ministry resources. Yeah, that's good. So a couple of, uh, I, I'm, I guess I'd call them a little bit personal. Has there ever been a time in running Humble Beast where you actually just kind of felt like quitting and, you know, just kind of dropping it and moving on with other things? Yeah, I, I think it's like a re- reoccurring like passenger you know, I think that there are times and I think in most ministries and uh, ministries that I mean, ministries are businesses. They run like a business. Um, if you if you're paying to keep the lights on and you have bills and you um, so you have to treat a ministry to a certain extent like a business. Uh, and so I think when those difficulties come, when there's not a whole lot of money for these three months and you're down to like nothing and. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm, I, I find my place, uh, I find myself in that place many times. Uh, and I, I really, I think in those moments, I really have to ask God, um, uh, Lord, is this what you want for me? Are you closing the door to this? And, um, am I content if, if the door is shut? Uh, I, I think that's a, it's a constant thing that I'm wrestling with, um, and I, and I think in doing, in, in having those moments, I think the Lord teaches me so many things, uh, not just about business, but about myself. I think the Lord teaches me in those crevices or those dark places when I want to give up and I, and I just want to go get a, a regular job and, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. Uh, but I think the Lord shows me how to be dependent. Um, and I, so I, I've become a better praying person. Um, I've learned to ask God for things. I, I, I tend to be a, a very self-motivated person, and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not really hard for me to put my head and hands together and just figure stuff out. Uh, and, I, and I think God made me that way, but in many ways, because of, the, because of my sin, um, I, it's, it's really easy for me to not be dependent on God. You know, I forget that component. And so I think in many ways, God uh, does a lot of excavating of my pride and my self-reliance and my self-dependence by creating these moments where I have nothing else to do but to say, uh, God, if you don't provide, then this is not going to work. And so he's grown me spiritually as a result. So so although it's difficult in those moments and I do feel at times when I want to quit, I am thankful for how God has matured me through those processes. Awesome. Awesome. So is, what are some of the, the biggest lessons you've learned that you can share uh, something that you might want to pass along to others who are trying to start a business or a ministry Yeah, that you've learned over the years? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things I've learned is um, it's, it's really, you know, when you, when you're running a company, it can become very easy to just kind of be the visionary and say, you know, like, this is my vision. 
this is what I've built, you know, with my own hands. And so everybody needs to get on board with my vision and my plans and the, and the direction that I want to go into. And, um, it, I think it's just natural. I think there's a sense of protection, um, for that, which you've created. And so I think in, in the first, uh, you know, four years of, of doing humble beast, I really had an issue with kind of bogarting everything and just being like, no, this is the way it's going to go. And I, th there are some positives to having someone lead like, um, uh, with a, with a resolved vision. But I think one of the greatest benefits that I've learned is to listen a lot to the people around me, um, to consider other people's perspectives and allow for their perspective to shape and influence the direction uh, that we move this business in. And I think it's, it's right. I mean, I work with dudes who, 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 who have given just as much as I have. Uh, and they, they come in and they work and they labor and they ride for the ministry. Um, uh, and so I've found it valuable to take their perspective into consideration and have a very community esque dialogue about particular things. Now, ultimately I, I make the decision and it falls on, on me. And I think by design, God has placed me in leadership over it, but I have found much fruit in listening and observing and having a very community uh, atmosphere. Uh, it's made me a better person. These folks see my blind spots. They're able to uh, see things that I'm unaware of. And that's been a great uh, blessing for me. It's been a great privilege. And, and I learned this, I think, uh, reality of having like this mutual submission and uh, mutual ear to other employees. I, I learned that by becoming a, an elder at my church. And I learned how how beautiful it is to get a variety of perspectives um, to to lead a church, uh, and 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 I grew just by understanding other people's um, perspectives and nuances and the way that they deal with things or their vantage point. And so I began to apply some of those principles into my business, and I and I feel like it's actually made us like a more successful ministry and business. Wow. Never thought about it that way. So being a CEO is, or being a, a, a leader is kind of like a pastor. Yeah. I mean, yeah, can, be. <laughs> can be because, you know, when you think about it as a pastor, uh, my, my responsibility is to shepherd the, the various people in my congregation. That's to love them and lead them by serving them. It is to um, give them support, give them like biblical support, uh, help them with their issues, help them with their crises. Um, and so when you think about the workplace, I mean, it's the same situation. You have the same kind of brokenness happening in your workplaces. You have the same type of crises. You have, you have the same type of leadership that you, you lead from serving people. So I try as hard as I can to lead my people uh, at my workplace the same way I lead them at church, which is in a very gracious and loving way. Uh, I affirm them. I try to correct them gently. Uh, I'm, I'm constantly concerned about what's going on in their lives and in their worlds. And I think that makes the business and side of things more fruitful because they, the employees that I have here, they know that I genuinely care about them. You know, I really do.
not just I care about them because they work for me, but I care about them because they're a part of my life. They have uh, you know, perspective. They have a voice. Um, their opinion matters. And, and I think all of that stuff uh, makes for really effective ministry. And I, I had to – it took me a long time. It took me becoming a, a pastor of a congregation to, to recognize those things. And so, again, I think it's just the way that God matures you and grows you uh, and how he grows you and matures you spiritually has implications on how you run your business. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, is there, you know, thinking back over all the years, how, how many years have you actually had humble beast? We will be publicly, we will be moving into our seventh year. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So is there anything that you would have done differently if you could go back if given the chance? Man, that's, that's kind of a tricky question, right? <laughs> because in one sense, the failing and the pain shapes your endurance and your perspective, right? And so when I look back at the difficulties and the challenges and the trials, um, part of our success now is largely um, connected to those experiences. And so if I were to go back and change those and make my job more of a comfort job and a more peaceable job, I wouldn't have this posture of dependence and humility. So in one sense, I would say I would not change anything. And then in another sense, I would say uh, some of the personal dealings that I've had, um, some of the relational fractures that I think can happen when there is this mingling of ministry and business, um, that can be really hard to navigate. Uh, you know, you seek to uh, love those people and, you know, you invest a lot of time in those people and then they decide it's time for them to move on for whatever reason. Uh, and that can be really hurtful and challenging and it causes for you to feel um, somewhat bitter and you take things personal. And I wish I could go back and not be bitter and take things personal and just um, bless them as they go. But that's a that's part of the human uh, experience, and it's part of our sin. And um, God has worked on me in that way. Um, but how it manifested itself, I wish I could go back and change. So hopefully right. that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Man, that's, mm, those are some good lessons for sure. So... One last question that I wanted to ask is your view or, okay, so your other businesses, uh, I'm guessing they were just just like regular businesses and with Humble Beast being kind of a ministry, do you find your, are, are you more passionate about doing the work at Humble Beast as you are your other jobs or is it about the same? Um, for, for me, this is, I mean, this probably isn't the blueprint for everybody, but for me, I definitely find a greater satisfaction in my work when I'm doing it for my ministry. I mean, a humble beast to me is, it's like my baby, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and so I love having my hands in it and creating resources that I think will bless people. And I, I think I love it so much because I think, um, 
there's a side to my ministry that has lasting and tangible and spiritual fruit that I think will exist for a long time. Uh, hopefully if, if, uh, if done right. And, and when I'm doing jobs for other clients, I enjoy my work. I do enjoy it, but I know that those jobs are, are really just a means to an end. I, I think it provides revenue for my family and I'm, I'm richly satisfied in that. Uh, I think it provides, um, creative expression. And I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that I get to work in an environment that I can be creative. Um, but, but I think it, those two things are the extent of the, the fruit, if you will. Whereas humble beast, we can create resources that have spiritual significance associated with it. And I think it's because of that, that makes me really zealous and passionate about humble beast. Um, and so it's kind of a tricky thing. I, I love it all, but, but I, I, I love, I love humble beast more. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, you know? I, de I definitely understand that. All righty. Well, uh, Mr. Odd Thomas, I want to thank you so much for taking the time and sharing, um, you know, just some of the behind the scenes stuff and your background and your heart for the, uh, for humble beast and the ministry business. Uh, would you classify it more as a ministry? Is that well, how you normally I, refer to it? This. Humble Beast is a, it is right now a for-profit corporation, right? Uh, but it functions in many capacities as a nonprofit. And so since it's been doing that for so many years, we've decided that in 2017, Humble Beast will officially launch as a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, okay. And so, uh, and, and I, I've, I've come to that conclusion. I've, I've juggled that idea for many years uh, because it's easy for us. I'm kind of like a startup. Um, I, I feel like in many ways God has built me as like a startup machine. And so I can find different ways to start up companies to generate revenue. Um, but I keep feeling this tug and this burden um, to give more to Humble Beast. And uh, I think that requires me converting it to a nonprofit so that it can continue to do what it, it needs to do and survive. So in 2017, we will be officially a 501c3. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, like I said, um, we thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day and your busy schedule. And uh, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. And so we really appreciate it. And uh, and hopefully we will hear some more music out of you soon. You know, a lot of people are waiting. Yeah. Well, we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Thank you again. And uh, God bless you, sir. Thank you, brother. All righty. That was the interview with Mr. Thomas Terry, a.k.a. Odd Thomas, the founder, CEO of Humble Beast. Uh, I hope you got a lot out of that. I tell you, that was an incredible interview, and I really, really enjoyed sitting down with him and talking about Humble Beast, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, just everything that the, the vision that he has for it, the, the strategy model, and all of that stuff that we discussed was extremely insightful, and I had a great time, and I hope you got something good out of that too. 
Now, like I said before, there is some extra bonus footage for you patrons over at patreon.com if you become a patron. It's only a $5 tier a month for that. And that includes all of the video footage of the, the extra video footage that we have with some of the interviews. So right now we have Mr. Aaron Simpkins up there and we have Mr. Odd Thomas. So go sign up and find out what that's about. And I want to thank you for listening to the show. Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. We're all over the place, everywhere for you, so it's easy access. And don't forget to check out Solomon's Porch Podcast. That's another show that I'm a part of. And me and Sean over there, we have a good time. We actually had uh, Lauren, who was another CHH artist. He was on that show, and he talked about uh, the, the Cuban relation uh, of his family coming over to America and some of the historical aspects of, of being Cuban-American and things like that. So that was a really, really good honor, too. And I appreciate him sitting down and taking the time to discuss that with me. And I'm trying to think, is there anything that I'm forgetting? Oh, yeah. If you have anybody that is a Christian business owner, whether it's a brick-and-mortar store, whether it's an online presence, it doesn't matter. If you would, at me on Twitter, Jason Bordeaux one or on Instagram at Jason Bordo one or over on Facebook. You can find me over there. Go ahead and tag the person, the business, whatever it is, whether it's a their personal page, their business page, because I would love to be able to reach out and do an interview because I really want to find out how it is that we can help Christian business owners. So if they're really getting started, I would love to talk with them. If they've already been established for a while, I would love to talk with them as well and pick their brain and get some of their expertise and the things that they've learned over the years that would help future business owners. Because I think we should all be continuing to learn from each other. We've we've never arrived. You know, if you ever think I finally made it to the place where I'm trying to get, then pretty soon you're going to start fading away. That's just the way it always is. So we should always be learning from each other. And that's my goal of this show is to help those who want to create a business to find out all of the the smart things, whether it's strategy, whether it's ideology, you know, just the, uh, the way we carry ourselves and conduct mannerisms and all of that good stuff. So yeah, if you know anybody, then please go to Twitter and... You know, let, let me know who it is. Let me know who it is. And I'll be glad to reach out myself and try to get that set up. So I want to thank you again for hanging out with me here on the Business with Bordeaux podcast. Your time is very valuable. Your listenership is very valuable. And I thank you for both of those. And I hope that you have enjoyed the interview so far. We got some more coming with some business owners and some people in the music industry. So stay tuned. I don't want to announce it just yet because I'm going to give you a little bit of excitement. But next week, we should have Mr. Kevin Knox interview up. And so he is a motivational speaker. He is an author. And the most important thing, or not important, the most amazing thing to me is that he's my age. So at 27 years old, he has had found a tremendous amount of blessing and success in what he does. So I talked with him about what it's like to self-publish a book, how important connections are, and if you're a Patreon, you get a little bit of extra motivation from him. So anyway, that'll be up next week. I thank you for your time this week, 
and I hope to see you back. Thanks, and God bless.